Welcome to the Acts 29 Podcast, a resource for planting more and better churches worldwide. Today, I'm your host, Dylan Dotson. And for the many who may not know me, I lead New City Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. We planted in 2017 and have been with Acts 29 since we began. Now, in this episode, I'm talking with Scott Zeller about theological alignment in Acts 29 and why that is so important in planting and pastoring our churches. Scott serves as vice president of Acts 29 Global. Previously, he served in church planting in India and then for many years as executive pastor at Redeemer Church of Dubai, a church with a strong emphasis on planting new congregations. Scott is married to Angela and together they have four, they're raising four wonderful children. Scott, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your church and your role in Acts 29? Sure. It's great to be on today. Thanks, Dylan. Um, yeah, I'm married to Angela. We celebrated 15 years of marriage back in August, and I'm so thankful for our shared life together uh, over the last decade. She's primarily given herself to ministry at home, uh, homeschooling our kids and hospitality and discipleship, but she's a, a counselor and trained in linguistics, so um, a very multi-talented gal. And uh, we have four kids ranging from 14 to 7, so our home is constantly loud and constantly hungry. Um, but I absolutely love being a dad and uh, they'll probably listen to this podcast. So um, hello, Zeller kids. I love you very much. Uh, get back to your schoolwork. Um, and as a family, we are members of Citizens Church in Plano, Texas. Uh, we just relocated back to Dallas, to the USA after uh, a decade in Dubai and then several years in India before that and landed at Citizens. Citizens is a great church, Axwinan Church in a season of growth, as many theologically serious and missionally engaged churches are. And a primary preaching pastor is a guy named Jamin Roller, who's fantastic. Um, go listen to the, the Citizens Church podcast. Um, and they also do another podcast called Culture Matters. So if, if people listen to this or podcast people, um, check out Citizens on your podcast. Um, in my role in Acts 29, so Acts 29 um, staff comes alongside of and supports our network of over 730 churches worldwide. And of those, about 230, or let's say about a third, are uh, outside of the USA in our other regions, Canada, Latin America, Brazil, Europe, Africa, Middle East and India, Asia Pacific. Uh, and it's my joy to convene and lead that team of directors uh, and lead the staff that supports them and also just build connections across our regions to see churches in the USA partner with churches outside its borders, see churches in Brazil working with churches in Africa or Asia Pacific to the Middle East and really love seeing that partnership and church planning that so many of our churches enjoy regionally or nationally uh, to also have a global expression of partnering around the world to see the gospel take root through the planning of churches. So, so it's a joy to give leadership to that and, uh, and do that here from the U S that's awesome. And we're going to be talking about theology. I think it's particularly helpful to talk to someone like you who's living this out, not just here, but globally. So as we begin, uh, let's first talk about the, the Acts 29's five theological distinctions. Uh, I think for many people, they are familiar with maybe some of those, but can you just maybe walk through maybe one by one what, what each of them are and, and why we value them as, as important? Sure. No, it's a joy to do so. The five theological distinctives of, of Acts 29 have been uh, really guardrails and, and pillars for us, orienting um, points for our network for uh, a number of years. And they're really a distillation of um, our theological distinctives that from the beginning of the network around 25 years ago. And so uh, those five are gospel centrality in all of life, the sovereign grace of God and saving sinners, the work of the Holy Spirit for life and ministry, 
the equality of men and women and the principle of male servant leadership, and then the local church as God's primary mission strategy. So just let me make a, a couple comments on all of those just to go through them again. Um, gospel centrality in all of life. Um, you know, I've heard some people saying recently that, um, or maybe even in, over the last few years, that gospel centrality as a concept is is sort of overused and we're moving past that as evangelicals. Um, and, you know, I've never met a, a Christian who's not gospel-centered. Um, and that could be true in a, in a certain way. Nobody is anti-gospel centrality. Uh, that would be hard to be a Christian who's anti-gospel-centered. Um, but it's no less true of who we are and who we want to be as a network. It's really our our high theory, our high theology that informs everything, how we relate to God. We relate to him through the truth of the gospel, how we relate to our sin and our suffering, our success, how we relate to each other, how we relate to the past and the future. It's all shaped around the gospel truth of God moving towards us um, as sinners for salvation with a hope for the future, the inheritance we have in him. So that gospel centrality means that that's going to be what everything is drawn to and informed by. Um, it gets more practical in the other four. Um, we're still in the realm of theology, uh, but it's it, it moves from that kind of high theory into um, some more parameters or specifics for who we are as a network. Uh, the sovereign grace of God in saving sinners. Uh, this could be uh, a reformed approach to the theological word being soteriology or the the theological category of how are we saved, um, that we believe in a received unmerited salvation. And that's very critical for us as a network and informs our mission uh, and informs how we again relate to God. Um, And it's, it's critical. So I I mentioned my kids earlier. So my two youngest sons drive them to school uh, most mornings and, and we do a quick catechism on the way. And I say, boys, you're going to learn a lot of things today, uh, but you already know the most important thing, uh, which is the gospel. And so uh, what's two words that tell us what the gospel is? Good news. And then what's five words that tell us what that good news is? God loves sinners through Jesus. Um, and so in a, in a short way, that catechism is really the essence of our salvation, that God is the one who, in his love, saves us through his provision of salvation, Jesus. And so that's what uh, we celebrate as a network and we gather around and orient our preaching and, and our mission together. Um, quickly, the, the, the rest, and then you can ask any follow-up questions, but just um, the Holy Spirit for life and ministry. And so our distinctive says that the Spirit permanently indwells, graciously sanctifies, lovingly leads and empowers all who are brought to faith in Christ so they might live in obedience to the inerrant scriptures. Uh, and so we want to be a church, or want to be a network, sorry, uh, where anyone who comes in contact with an Acts of Mind church is going to experience the presence of God uh, in the way the scripture is taught with unction and with power, the way that love is demonstrated uh, that defies human explanation, uh, the way that mission is pursued, all of those things to which they can only say there's something going on here. There's something going on here that's not just some people with creative ideas, but the spirit of God is at work amongst these people. Um, and we want to we want to see that be true of our churches. Um, the equality of men and women principle of male servant leadership is our uh, a point within our anthropology, sort of how we think about men and women, how God has created us, um, a gendered headship and authority as God's good plan uh, for the shape of things at home and in the church, and uh, that marks us out as a network and a very traditional perspective, but one that needs to be reiterated and pastorally applied sort of in every generation. And then lastly, the 
the church is God's primary mission strategy. And this is really obviously what animates our day-to-day work as X-19 churches uh, in a unique way that we gather together as, as churches along those theological distinctives um, and with this critical belief that the church is God's primary instrument in his mission. As we go out in obedience to the Great Commission to make disciples, to baptize them, to teach them to obey, that that teaching is happening through pulpits and in classes and through discipleship relationships and churches, that that baptism is happening in the context of covenant community, uh, all in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And so we manifest that command and obedient to the Great Commission uh, through the planting of churches to see people from all nations worship Christ. So long answer, but hopefully that's helpful, especially for those that are new to those five distinctives, uh, that that's what we celebrate uh, as a network of churches together. And I think one of the strengths of Acts 29 is the theological clarity. I think, you know, you and I, everyone would agree. I mean, we're very pro-Team Jesus. We want people of all nations, tribes, tongues to come to know him. But one of the advantages when it comes to working with other pastors and leaders is knowing that you're convictionally, even on the secondary issues, on the same page, on the same team, and it allows you to kind of maybe move forward a little bit faster. Can you speak to, in an ever-changing world, why clear theological convictions are essential for pastors and churches? So we can talk about this from a network perspective, but even we can also talk about this from a just practical on the ground with our people. Why is it important to be clear with our theological convictions, what we teach, what we practice, what we believe? Yeah, it's, that's a huge question and one that we can answer from from different uh, perspectives or in different layers. But first and foremost, it's imp- it is important to have theological convictions. And so I hope I don't need to convince extra nine churches of that. Uh, but at the same time, it's, it's worth repeating that Having theological convictions is essential uh, because pastoral ministry and the advance of the mission depends on us being clear with the truth. We are a we are a good news people. We are a, a messenger people. So that means that we have to know what we're talking about and we have to know what we are orienting ourselves around the truths, the theological convictions. And there's always going to be innovations. There's always going to be um, voices saying, what if we tweak this or change that? And there's always going to be shortcuts that could be taken that, oh, if we did this methodology, things could be different. But to do that, we're going to have to lay aside this conviction. And so having those theological convictions that are rooted and clear uh, really helps set the parameters for helping us run forward uh, with the, the speed that the Spirit allows in each given season. Theological convictions are essential. I think another layer of, of thinking about it would be, um, you know, we talk about theological triage, uh, that there are things that are of primary importance. There are things of secondary and third uh, level of importance. Um, so things like the deity of Christ would be first level importance. Um, something like the role of men and women might be second um, of importance. You could be a Christian and disagree on the role of men and women, but you couldn't be a Christian and disagree on the deity of Christ. He is, he's God. Um, but just because it's second tier importance does not mean it's unimportant. And I think that's, some, that's something that we talk about um, in Acts 29, that um, while we want to calibrate our relationships and our posture towards each other in the global Christian church, based on a theological triage perspective, um, we also do want to encourage and promote clear theological thinking on every layer of that um, of spectrum of theology so that we can pastorally serve our people um, across the, the theological and pastoral issues that they're facing. Yeah. I even think uh, on a practical level, you know, like at New City, a lot of churches, you know, with our, our membership partnership process, you know, we talk through kind of our secondary 
beliefs, but the things that we teach, what we think the scriptures say, and it, it provides a lot of clarity for our people of where we're going and where we're headed. And so not only is it helpful for us as churches to network together because we know, hey, we've got these same convictions, it's even, even helpful, helpful on the practical ground level. So I'm, I'm just curious if you'd be able to speak to someone's listening to this, Acts 29 or not, um, what are maybe, maybe some resources or steps that you would encourage people to take if they want to become more clear on some of their theological convictions, especially maybe some of these secondary things that Christians can disagree on, but you need to have a stance on or a conviction on so that you can teach and lead you know, yeah. in that manner. So in forming theological convictions, and the first thing I would say is that all of us are in on that journey of forming theological convictions. There's certain convictions that we have that we that take root early on, and there's certain ones that need to be formed as we go. And so it's the the pursuit of theological convictions is not just for the new believer, but it is something as we ourselves intentionally work through the scriptures and in community uh, in our local context are always going to be on that process and that need to be sharpening. Uh, our articulation of our theological convictions. And so just for that to say, this isn't just a, a 101 exercise to develop theological convictions, but it's a lifelong ministry exercise of, of forming um, theological conviction. It might not be innovative, but in terms of how to pursue that, how to form those theological convictions, um, I would say that social media would be the, the absolute worst place to form your theological convictions. And a long-term patient study of both church history and long books by dead people is a fantastic way to form theological convictions. Um, social media is like junk food. Uh, go and, and uh, get a little hit and enjoy it. Um, but to form those theological convictions, form a group of people that are reading the Puritans or reading the Church Fathers uh, and study together issues that are facing the, your church and your, and your community and you're going to really find those theological convictions come into shape. For people that are aspiring to ministry, I'm a huge advocate for uh, a multi-year residential theological education. Um, there's really no way to form a baseline of knowledge for a lifetime of ministry, like being in person, in classes, under uh, godly uh, theologians and professors that will help you form those convictions. And so if for someone thinking about ministry, would absolutely encourage them to think about finding a seminary, finding a context for theological education where they can be doing local ministry in a church and being poured into in a seminary classroom uh, is is a fantastic way of, of forming those theological convictions. So the question then I think arises, convictions are good and we need to have convictions. We want to lead from those places. We want to develop networks with other churches and even people in our churches who understand these doctrines and these theologies. Uh, Acts 29 focuses on theological alignment rather than uniformity. So can you speak to the difference between what those things are, alignment and uniformity, and why that distinction is important? Yeah, so we focus on theological alignment, and what we mean by that is that we are, as we pursue the mission of planting churches, of multiplying new churches to make disciples to the glory of Jesus, that it's required for that task for us to be aligned theologically, which doesn't mean we're the same theologically, but it, it, it is trying to bring this sense of compatibility to where, although we're different, and sometimes we're more the same than we are different, oftentimes those five distinctives are enough to put us in a pretty thin slice of overall Christianity. So we're, if we're aligned on those five distinctives, we're already quite aligned uh, but even within that, there's going to be differences. There's going to be variances. 
And, and so what we want to do there is just celebrate that and say, Lord, thank you um, for this opportunity to be sharpened by these that are doing something different, um, to be challenged, and then also to be clarified in our own convictions. Because when we're around people that are doing things a little bit differently, sometimes it just helps us say, no, I respect that, but this is the way uh, we feel like it is most effective in our context and a, a faithful um, outworking of our understanding of Scripture. And so astronaut focuses on theological alignment rather than uniformity. We're not after all being the same. Uh, we are after working together for the sake of planning churches. Yeah, that's good. Uh, now maybe bring this to a practical level as well. Uh, how can pastors and church planters forge meaningful relationships with others who have varying applications of theology? And I think maybe for this question, uh, we're not even talking about within our other actual nine churches, because again, we know we're on the same page. It's easy for us to do, but how can we develop relationships with other pastors and churches, maybe in our local areas who may not be convictionally the same everywhere we are in all these issues, but want to advance the gospel together in areas that God has us. Yeah. As a, as a network, we're not after an institutional form of set of relationships. We're after an informal and, um, and like we said, centered sort of set around those five distinctives. And so we're aligning around that. But what that means is that at the, at the fringes of that, there's a fair amount of gray space and liminal space at the, on the edges of our network relationships where we do want to have a, a generous posture towards those that might not align with our five distinctives and they might never be a, a fit for being a, a formal partner of Acts 29, but they can still be gospel friends and they can still be people that we appreciate and seek to bless, encourage in the work to see um, good work going on throughout the world. A, a friend of mine named Neil Powell in, in London uh, he says this often. He just says, if I have a good sense that I'm going to see somebody in heaven, I want to be open to working with them on earth. And so that work might look different. Um, there might be a work that we can do together as Acts 29 churches that we can't do with somebody who's outside of that just because it wouldn't be practical to try and plant a church together. But that doesn't mean that we can't work with them. We can't encourage them. I think one thing I encourage people with is, just to have a posture of collaboration and then be satisfied if all you get is a friend. And so we want to pursue people with that desire to see if we couldn't work together, if we couldn't influence and, and grow together and see something happen for the kingdom that wouldn't have happened if we weren't working together. And then at the end of the day, if, if nothing does happen, at least I've gained a friend. And there's somebody here that is praying for me. I'm praying for them. Uh, we're arm in arm in, in different ways, primarily relationally, but who knows what the Lord might have in the future in terms of collaboration. Yeah, that's really good. Now, now I'm curious uh, for a question when it comes to Acts 29. We mentioned the five theological distinctives earlier on in this episode. If somebody's like, hey, I'm interested in the network or interested in partnering, but I'm not quite sure on the role of men and women or on spirit empowerment, how would somebody know whether or not Acts 29 would be a good fit for them? Or maybe where would you draw the line in terms of conviction and being on the same page? Well, we, we talk a lot about in Acts 29, moving at the speed of relationship, moving at the speed of relationship. And so we don't want it to be a transactional dynamic between us and a partner church where, you know, you see the value proposition and you, you sign an electronic form and that's that. That's not what we're about. We're actually about building relational partnerships in real flesh and blood, in person, nitty gritty, doing the work of the gospel together. And so if that process takes time, then we would see that as a good thing and not as a negative. And so if someone came with that posture of, 
hey, I think this sounds like a mission I'm excited about. These distinctives sound good. I have some questions about them. Then that, that is a very welcome conversation. And the easiest way is, is to get on the X-29 website, find a church in your area that's an X-29 partner church, and take the pastor out for coffee and talk about it and, and build a relationship and let that potential partnership move at the speed of relationship. And, uh, and that would be a, a phenomenal win. And I think hopefully a great way to be encouraged uh, and to potentially find gospel partnerships and gospel uh, relationships that could result in churches planted. Now I'm curious, you have a persp- unique perspective because again, because of your global experience planting churches, you know, following the way of Jesus in different parts of the world, how have you seen theological clarity be a benefit to, to some of those places? Just, you know, you go, some people might say, well, you're in a new area, just tell them about Jesus. It's going to be fine. Why focus in so much on these distinctives? If like you said earlier, if I think I'm going to see them again in heaven, like, isn't that enough? How have you seen theological alignment and clarity be a benefit in those various places? Oh man, so many ways. Uh, you know, we, as we see, especially in parts of the world where um, the gospel has not historically been, where there are, the, if there is a Christian pop- population, it's in the strong minority. There's whole cities and towns where there's never been a Christian. Um, you see all kind of different methodologies and, and approaches, most of them with very genuine hearts to see um, multitudes come to faith. Um but it's the parable of the seeds that the seed is, is sown broadly. Um, and yet the, 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 the fruit or the, the plant that doesn't grow, the, the, the seed doesn't uh, produce fruit. Um, and spiritually speaking, it's only the spirit that can do that. And what we can also say is that the spirit has given us a pattern in, in, in teachings in the New Testament that help us understand what are the things that he wants us to be about. Um, that put up the sails that the spirit's going to blow wind into. And when we talk about theological convictions and a church planting, what we're saying is the best of our understanding is the spirit has said through the scriptures that this is the sail he's going to blow wind into. Um, this is the structure of the mission. It's not this methodology or that methodology. We don't have complete freedom to do whatever we want, any sales tactic that would work. Um, but we are constrained to what scripture says, um, the shape of Christian community looks like churches and that that's going to be for the long-term good of the mission. And we can, again, look at church history and see where the shortcuts were taken or those other methodologies were embraced that what came next was heresy. What came next was people falling away from the faith. They made a profession and then a year later you can't find them, but the patient long-term approach of Disciples made within a covenant community with theological roots and biblical leadership, that those things um, help the gospel to endure generation to generation uh, and see it uh, go forward. So um, I think those are, that's no less true in frontier contexts, in Christian minority context, uh, than it would be down the street in the U.S. or, or wherever we might be. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, now again, in your new role, Vice President of Acts 29 Global, I'm just curious, man, uh, speak to us as someone who's working with Acts 29 uh, in a more full-time capacity. Uh, can you talk about this specifically in the realm of theology or maybe just ge- in general for our network, for people that are listening, man, w- where are we going? Uh, what are you excited about? I'm very excited for Acts 29, uh, 25 years as a network and the opportunity and the privilege to build on that uh, story, uh, that church planning journey 20, started 25 years ago, 
uh, the world is different than it was 25 years ago. The, the needs are different. The opportunities are different. Uh, and yet at the same time, the, as we've already talked about, the theology and the theological conviction remains the same. We're not going anywhere on theology, uh, and we're not going anywhere on mission. Uh, we're staying true to how we got started, and I think that will carry us through uh, into, the, into the coming years, hopefully in really productive and redemptive ways. I'm excited about the next generation of church planners. I'm excited about um, folks that are coming up through seminary right now or uh, just right now being um, captivated by this vision of, of planting churches, and they're coming out of uh, maybe they were in college or right out of college and they were in COVID and all of this separation and division and tribalism. And they're saying they want to be a, a voice that's, that brings calm to those waters by preaching the gospel and gathering people together in communities of, of love and unity. Uh, and that's called pastoral ministry. That's called church planting. And I'm excited for, for those uh, church planters and those people and saying, how can we come alongside and help them? to see the next generation of churches planted across the world. Um, and we just, I think we see the fruit and the, the table set, and it seems like it's going to be uh, an exciting time together in the next few years. Well, Scott, so grateful for your time. It's come closer to the end of the episode, and so a couple of quick questions. The first one would be this. We talk about theology and resources. Not theology, but maybe just in general. Uh, what's a book that you've read recently or one that you've enjoyed that you would recommend? Um, in the Kingdom of Ice by Hampton Sides is, I just finished that the other day. It's a historical narrative of a polar expedition in the 1800s. And it was fascinating, Uh, fascinating of this crew that left uh, from San Francisco to try and go to the North Pole, got stuck in the ice for almost two years and had to walk out across the ice to Siberia. And um, just the incredible human, uh, endurance and spirit of adventure and uh and what that all that that entailed so fascinating book in the kingdom of ice uh, probably more practically uh crucial conversations uh crucial conversations it's a red book i can't remember the author um really helpful not a, not from a christian perspective not a, a a religious book but just very helpful tools for thinking through sort of high stakes, emotional conversations and how to help those be more productive. So I was, I benefited a lot from reading crucial conversations. And last question, what is one piece of advice? If you could go back 10 years and give yourself, uh, what would you say? Yeah, that's an interesting question. 10 years ago, I was just starting uh, pastoral ministry in in Dubai. And so uh, that that period of time feels very uh, clear in my mind of, of what it encompasses in my life. But um you know, Colossians 3, um, there's just the imperative, be thankful. And I've been thinking about that a lot recently. And so that's that's what comes to mind is you know, there's always the obvious ones. I wish I'd spent more time in scripture, more time in prayer, um, you know, play more with my kids. And all of that's true. So I, I wouldn't, that's all advice that I would give to myself 10 years ago. Um, but in terms of something specific beyond that, I would say, I wish that I had taken more time to just reflect thankfully, um, and be appreciative for what God was doing, even when it was hard, even when it was confusing. Um, but just to have that posture of thankfulness and gratitude, um, 
be, be a theme in my heart and in my, in my life more than it has been. Well, in the theme of gratitude and thankfulness, Scott, thank you so much for taking the time to encourage us today and for what you're doing at Acts 29, both globally and here in the United States. We appreciate it. Thanks, Dylan. See ya. This episode was produced by and edited by Aaron Logan. Show prep and research were done by Olivia Mead, and I'm your host, Dylan Dotson. Let's keep planting churches worldwide.